0: If you are exploring faith for the first time or just trying to figure out what Awaken is about, please don't hesitate to drop us a line and introduce yourself. We welcome any question you might have about life, the Christian faith, or Awaken Church. May God be with you as you listen. Father, once again, we stand in awe of your incredible grace and mercy. We ask that you would help us to respond in a way that brings glory and honor to you. Father, we confess our sin. We ask for your forgiveness, and we trust that you will forgive us. We trust that you will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Father, we desire to honor you with all of our lives. We pray that you would help us do that. Open our ears and our hearts, our minds to your truth. Do a work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. guys can grab a seat. Uh, I was ready to come up and preach about halfway through that song. Uh, Welcome to winter, everybody. There we go. Isn't the snow amazing? It's so beautiful. Covers up all that old brown... Crotey stuff. Roman, what are you doing right now? <laughs> uh, well, sorry, Roman, just messing with you. Yeah. Okay, you're good to go? All right, good. Uh, I have been reading a lot, I'm sure you have as well, but uh, just a lot of different articles and you know, watching the news and so forth regarding the uh, Ukrainian uh, war, the crisis that's going on over there, and I've had some images uh, stuck in my mind, like, you know, this is sort of the thing I've been thinking about. There are lots of images, buildings being destroyed, and so on, Uh, but uh, the image that I have had stuck in my mind, and and there are a bunch of them like this, but it is something like this, Uh, and I picked this one because it has a, a suitcase in it, which we'll talk about here in a second, but one of the things I've realized is that with these images, one of the things that's sort of gotten a hold of me is, these people look a lot like me. Uh, you know, Some of them are like middle-aged, white, bald guys uh, who are running, they're fleeing from uh, their country. And so it has really made me think, that could be me, right? Because, I mean, it's, it's as visually uh, paired as possible. And so I've just been thinking about, you know, life can change pretty dramatically in, in pretty short order. Suddenly, you know, you think this is going to be life, but one event happens, and now suddenly this is your new reality. So I've just been thinking a lot about, hey, that could be me. And so it just makes it so much more personal. And you think about it more deeply, I think. Uh, One of the things I've been thinking about is this suitcase that lots of people have been fleeing with. And I'm guessing that those people who are toting those suitcases around, I'm guessing they have or they have a lot more than what fits in there. And so they've had to make some quick decisions about what should go in the suitcase. Uh, I'm kind of a prepper. Are there any other preppers? One, two, sort of. Somebody you're not, you're not willing to raise your hand or you're laughing at the person next to you? I'm a prepper. I'm just gonna, I'm very proud of this actually. So if you wanna have a discussion about it, uh, please, I want to have that discussion with you. But so one of the, you know, the thing I've been thinking about is, well, what would I put in this bag? I asked my wife, uh, hey, let's say we're in this situation, like, what things would you put in the bag? And she basically said, I don't want to have this conversation right now. Let's talk about something else or not talk at all. I get that a lot. But <clears throat> this question, you know, what would we put in our, you know, our go bag? What would we take with us? So think about it, just in your house, you know, you're running around, you have not a lot of time. What things would you put in that bag? Things that, you know, it's gonna be survival gear, things to help you in the next 24 hours. Are there some family heirlooms that you would want, you know, to to make sure that you have? Because you're never going back to that place or if you go back, it's probably gonna be destroyed. So what would you take with you? As I started thinking about it, I thought, well, Man, that would be so difficult because I have a lot of stuff. Our house, I think, is around 4,200 square feet. Uh, Heidi might correct me on that. Somewhere in that zone. And so we have got a lot of stuff. For like 22 years of adulting, we've been accumulating things. And, you know, you see something, you maybe you have to save money for it or maybe you have the money, but you, know, you buy it and you bring it home and you, you put it in your house. And you, just, you end up with stuff, right? Has anybody ever moved before? And that's when you realize, oh, this is shameful, right? You realize how much junk you have. The problem with my junk is that I really like my junk. I mean, I selected it after a long process and brought it home. And if you take my junk, huh, we're going to have words and maybe more. Don't take my stuff. I really like it. And so this idea of paring down to a tiny little bag is a difficult thing. It's difficult just to think about the, the reality of actually having to do something like that. One of the things that has you know, got me thinking, or, or one of the things I've been thinking about in all of this, is what is really meaningful? Um, one of my responses, because I'm a prepper... I think I told you that already. but I bought a waterproof map case because I could put my passport, my uh, like family documents in there, and it'd be in this waterproof bag. So in the event that I did need to go, I have this, all this stuff put together. I can also use it for hunting, so you know, it's a dual purpose. And so I validated the purchase. Typical American response, right? Well, I got to thinking about that and I thought, well, if my nation is like destroyed, then my passport, all these papers become meaningless. If the place where I keep my money, like my bank, my national banking system, and I keep it in the US dollar, if all of that goes away, then my account numbers are meaningless. Everything becomes really meaningless really quick. In Ecclesiastes, in the introduction, Solomon writes, everything is meaningless, completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? And if you've ever uh, read the book of Ecclesiastes, it gets a lot more depressing than that. Because Solomon goes through sort of every area of life and he shows how, in a way, it's very meaningless. That the things we're striving after can become very, very meaningless. Unless we get a couple of things figured out. Unless we figure out that trusting in God in the process of all that we're doing is sort of this key. This very, very important key that then brings meaning into all the things that we're doing. Ecclesiastes 5, just to give you another example, starting in verse 8. Don't be surprised if you see a poor person being oppressed by the powerful, and if justice is being miscarried throughout the land. For every official is under Orders from higher up and matters of justice get lost in red tape and bureaucracy. Even the king milks the land for his own profit. Remember, Solomon starts this by saying, don't be surprised. Like this is the way the world operates. This is the scenario that you're in. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth, except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? People who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much. But the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. Um, I find these words convicting. I find these words um, cut to my heart because I well, I like things. I like possessions. I like convenience. I like comfort. I like security. I like entertainment. I like all of those things. And Solomon reminds us that those things are meaningless at the end of the day. Those things are meaningless. Uh, We might substitute the word vapor or mist. They're temporary, they're not with us, they're not lasting things. So, Wouldn't it be incredible if there was a way for us to know in a world where there's so much distraction, where there's so much deceit, where there's chaos, wouldn't it be awesome for us to have some sort of rock to stand on? It's interesting that Jesus claims to be that rock. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Jesus claims to show us to have the path to significance so that the things that we do are not hevel, which is the Hebrew word for meaningless. They're not temporary. There is this way of living that is like a rock in the middle of chaos. There's this way of living that is like this very solid foundation while chaos Swirls around us. And so that's what I want to talk to us about. Uh, Our world is nothing like what the Ukrainians are experiencing right now. But maybe in our personal lives. And who knows, maybe things will change here. Right? This is just a reminder. This whole thing is a reminder to the world of the reality of the darkness of the human heart. That at any moment, somebody in North Korea could do something radical. Somebody in China could attack Taiwan and so forth. Our world could erupt. Did you catch that? Our world could erupt at any time. Things could be in chaos. Suddenly things could change. So there is this way of living that I want to remind us of today. Hebrews chapter 12. Verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. That's the call to the Christian life. That is what it is. It's the stripping away of our old life, It is the pursuit, the intense pursuit of what Christ has for us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. So I want you to think for just a moment. What does it mean to fix your eyes On Jesus. I could give you some examples and I may do that, but what does it mean for you when you hear that phrase to set your eyes on Christ? What does that mean in your life? If you need to close your eyes for a second, I'll give you a pass. Uh, I won't assume that you're nodding off right now. What does that mean for you? to fix your eyes on Jesus. You may have heard the phrase, we become what we behold. We know the things that we focus on, the things that we look at, the things that we are giving our attention to, the things that we are obsessing over, Those are the things that form us. Those are the things that drive us. Those are the things upon which we make our decisions. That is how our character is formed, based on the things that we are beholding. So what does it mean for us to fix our eyes on Jesus? One of the things that I would try to take in my bag is this. This is a little, you know, this is like Christian show and tell this morning. Um, This is from my dad. It's a uh, a hymnal. Anybody know what a hymn is? Uh, A couple people know what a hymn is. And so uh, this is like back in the day before Spotify, Uh, people people would buy uh, these personal hymnals. Like you would walk down to the local Christian bookstore and you could get this personal hymnal. Because the big, you know, the ones that sit in the pew. They're large and a bit cumbersome, but you could slip this one into your back pocket. And uh, I think this came from my grandfather, and he gave it to my dad, and then I ended up with it. Um, one of the ways you can fix your eyes on Jesus is through worship, and there's a song in this hymnal called "When I Survey." When I survey the wondrous cross, I'm going to read it for obvious reasons, uh, but you might sing it in your mind as I'm reading it. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine? that were at present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. You see, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we are formed by that. When we focus our day, when we focus our Career, when we focus our relationships with other people, when we focus our spare time, when we focus our additional income, when we focus all of those things on Jesus, we are transformed. When our eyes are fixed on Him, we begin to live life differently. And the things that we do are not meaningless, because God's promise is that He bears fruit through us as we are obedient to Him, as our eyes are fixed on Him. What does it mean for you to fix your eyes on Jesus? Sometimes I'll take this little hymnal and go out in the woods, far away from anyone, and in order to make sure that I'm not going to be, like, attacked by a bear, I'll begin singing hymns. And this is a way for me to fix my eyes on Christ. There are a number of ways in which uh, I fix my eyes on Christ. And it is absolutely critical in a world of distraction and deception and chaos for us to have our eyes fixed on Christ, right? This is the way that we are transformed, this is the way that we stand strong, regardless of any situation. This is the way that we find meaning and significance in the things that we do. One of the uh, well, are you guys aware that Easter is coming up? We have maybe six weeks or so. Not exactly sure of the calendar, but uh, Easter's on the way. And so, between now and Easter, uh, we're going to invite you to prepare for Easter by fixing your eyes on Christ. Uh, one of the traditions of the church—we uh, don't like, you know, always do that. Some years we we do this; we enter into this with the rest of the church. But a, tr- a on a longstanding tradition of the church is to celebrate something called Lent. Uh, this is not like the stuff in your pocket. Uh, This is a season where Christians decide to give something up in order to focus themselves on Christ. Uh, Anybody ever heard of Fat Tuesday? you laughed. So there's Fat Tuesday and then there's Ash Wednesday and this is the beginning of Lent, like this 40-day period before Easter. And it's this season of giving something up, right? Uh, One of the funniest ones I've heard is from a lady who, uh, appearing to be a total rule follower, uh, decided for Lent that she needed to give up traffic violations. Um, So I'm not sure what it might be uh, for you, but Jesus is always calling us to give something up. Right, he wants us to give up more of this life. He wants us to release our grip on this life. He wants us to take less and less and less with us. He wants us to pare things down until we actually get to a place where we really have nothing but Him. It's in that moment Jesus claims that we will find life. So what does it look like for you to fix our, your eyes on Jesus Are the things that you need to strip away from your life? Is there a way in which God is calling you to pursue him? Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 21. It says, From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. (laughs) Could you imagine reprimanding Jesus? Uh, I don't know about Peter. Uh, Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Peter does not want this to happen to Jesus because Jesus or because Peter has a different image of what the Messiah should be like of how the Messiah should operate. Next we learn what happens when you reprimand Jesus. Jesus turned to Peter and said, "Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God. Peter gets about as stiff of a rebuke as you can get. One of the extraordinary things that maybe we miss in this reprimand is that Jesus reminds us that we can see things from God's perspective which is really pretty mind-blowing if you think about it. If you were, you know, you woke up this morning and you were doubting your value in the cosmos, like you woke up and you were just insecure about yourself, you weren't sure if you were like a highly valuable being, Jesus reminds us that we have been given this ability to see things from God's perspective, which is really extraordinary. Like we have this ability to realize that this world is a temporary one. That there are lots of things in this world that are meaningless for us to pursue. They're temporary. They're like a vapor or mist, like sand running through our fingers. Unless we do this thing where we strip off the things that entangle us. And we fix our eyes. We set our eyes on Christ. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. There's a three-point sermon right there. Right, if you were looking for like a formula of of success in this world, a formula for success in... uh, in the faith, like, what, is it, what does this look like? How do I do it if, if you're struggling with, uh, you know, with where to go? Three step formula turn from your selfish ways. That will solve lots of problems right there. If we just turn from our selfish ways, right? God is always calling us to live in the best way. And so He lays out this roadmap for us turn from our selfish ways. And then pick up our cross, right? Be willing to do the very difficult thing. Because God is always calling us to do difficult things. Because God knows that is where we can best meet with him. That's why Paul says he wants to know Christ, and he wants to know the sufferings of Christ. He wants to know the difficult things, because Paul has learned that this is where he can best meet Jesus. And follow me. And follow me. In order to follow somebody, you kind of need to know where they're going. kind of need to have your eyes on the person you're following. Uh, so, follow me. Is there a way in which Jesus is asking you to turn from your selfish ways? Right? In your relationships, in your financial or career pursuits? Is there a way in which Jesus is calling you to turn from your selfish ways? Is there there a cross he's asking you to bear? Is there a very difficult thing that Jesus is asking us to do? Is Jesus inviting us to follow him in some way? Hey, come over here. I have more for you. There's more to this adventure. There's more on this path. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and will judge all people according to their deeds. And I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. One of the things that has really made me think about humanity in this whole crisis that is happening right now is the fact that there are people outside of Russia with relatives inside of Russia who are calling them and talking to them on the phone. And as they're talking about events, they have two completely, completely different ideas about what is happening to the point where children are telling their parents who live in Russia about... Say the bombing of Kiev, and the death of civilians. And the folks, the parents in Russia, unwilling to believe that the report they're getting from their child is true, because of the propaganda that they're receiving from the state, because of a choice to believe what they want to believe, for whatever reason. They don't want to be embarrassed, they feel guilty, or they simply believe there's some sort of conspiracy thing going on. But I'm reminded of how easily we are deceived. Sometimes by external sources. But a lot of times by internal sources. Because a lot of times we just choose to live in deception. We just choose to remain there. Because it's more comfortable, because we're saving face, or whatever the case might be. Uh, as I shared that with uh, somebody in our church who who was who going through that experience, they they reminded me that uh, you know there was a moment in Germany's history after World War II where, as the Allied troops Allied troops were trying to explain to them what had happened at you know, in the Holocaust, what had happened to the Jewish people. Uh, they would take German people to the concentration camps of, you know, Auschwitz and so on. And it would show them. You know, they hadn't even cleaned anything up yet. They hadn't turned it into a memorial. It was, you know, live action, dead, dead bodies, mass graves exposed, all of the things. And for some of the German people, The response was, this must be from Hollywood. You must have brought these things in from Hollywood. There's no way that this could be reality. Refusing to believe, even in light of the clearest possible evidence, even in light of being there personally themselves, seeing it for themselves. We are very easily deceived. We are so easily distracted. Uh, One potential exercise for you during the Lenten season is to go a day without your cell phone. I know I'm making some of you uncomfortable right now, just conceptualizing this. But just to go a day without your cell phone. I mean, it wasn't actually too long ago where we didn't have cell phones. And so there is a way to survive without your cell phone. Now, I'm definitely, you know, preaching to myself here. I get nervous if I don't have my cell phone with me. And I feel like, does anybody ever have this experience? Like, I keep my phone on silent but in my pocket so it vibrates when something's going on. And so do you ever have this experience where you think your pocket is vibrating, but it's actually not? Anybody? Yeah, okay. Okay. I think that's like a psychological thing. Something's going on neurologically that I'm not sure. But I get pretty nervous when I don't have my cell phone because, you know, and I actually have to sometimes leave it somewhere in my truck or on my desk or something and then just like tell myself, I'm gonna be gone for an hour without my cell phone. It's a little bit scary because people could be trying to communicate with me. I could be missing something. And if I get bored, what am I going to do? No cell phone? Could you imagine? So, we're really easily distracted, right? And we really struggle with, like, deep, contemplative thought. When we're sitting there and we have nothing to do, do we think you know, I'm going to think deeply about the purpose of life, or do we think, I'm going to play Trivia Crack, or uh, what's the one with, I don't know, my game's very, what? Minesweeper. Yeah, (laughs) Minesweeper. Right, I mean, we just, it's become our go-to. If something's not distracting us already out there, if there's not some big distraction, we, like, we seek out a distraction, something to keep us distracted. We're just choosing to stay in, distra- in, a, in a place of distraction, in some cases in a place of denial. So what does it mean for us to fix our eyes on Jesus? What does it mean for our life to be wrapped around who Jesus is? What does it mean for us to obsess over living the way of Christ? That's what a disciple would do. Their whole life now becomes oriented around figuring out the way the rabbi lives so that they can live the same way. And so their complete focus as a disciple is to just watch the Messiah, to listen to the Messiah, and to repeat what they've seen. To repeat what they've heard. What does it mean for us to fix our eyes completely on Jesus? And some of you are old in the faith. I can tell by looking at you. And so you've heard this before. So what does it mean for you at, at your level, let's call it, at your level of experience following Christ? What does it mean for you to fix your eyes Completely on Jesus. Join me in prayer. Father, we ask that you would help us to turn from our selfish ways. This is not easy, and you know this. So, Father, we need your transforming power that we would be able to turn away from our old lives, that we would be able to turn away from this culture. Lord, that you would help us release our grasp on the things of this world, that you would help us see the deception of hoarding, of building a hub, of increasing safety and security. Father, Father, Give us a willingness to pick up our cross. Give us a willingness to do difficult things, to stand in uncomfortable positions, to resist untruth in our world, to stand out from the people around us as we represent you, as we bring glory to the Father. Father, fill us with a desire to follow after you, to keep our eyes on you, to know where you are going, to discern how we are to follow you. Father, fill us with courage to respond to you, the way, the truth, and the life. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening. It is a joy to be able to share God's truth with you. Hopefully you found this teaching helpful to your understanding of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in today's world. And hopefully you are inspired to take a further step of faith. Please let us know how we can be praying for you as you continue your journey. If you live in the Anchorage area, you are welcome to join us any Sunday. And we have an Awaken 101 event every six weeks, and this is also a great way to find out more about our church. Please sign up for that event by going to the events tab at our website, AwakenAlaska.com and looking for Awaken 101. Feel free to share this podcast with your friends and we will see you next week.